Welcome to the Calm Collective Podcast. I'm Cassandra. I'm a writer and an advocate on going inward to gain personal growth so that we can achieve a state of mindfulness and total self-awareness. This is a space dedicated to celebrating life in all of its forms, the good, the bad, and all of those imperfect moments in between that make up the human experience. You're not in this alone, and I'm here to remind you that each episode as we dive deep into the raw and the real. Are you ready? Here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Calm Collective Podcast. As always, I am so, so grateful to have you here, and I'm really excited about today's episode with Lila, who is the founder of Harley J, a sustainable and ethical clothing shop based out of Vancouver, Canada. She is such a lovely person. I, aside from her beautiful French accent, just the way her mind works and how she explains things in such a loving, moving way, I really feel like this episode is going to sit well with so many of you, whether you are on the journey of starting your own business, whether you are on a self-discovery path, which I think all of us are at all times, whether you are moving from a small town to a large city or vice versa. Literally everything Lila touches on, I could relate to, and I hope the same is for you. And it also comes with a lot of really great recommendations that I'm going to share with you guys. And we also touch on Lila's experience with grief uh, as she has lost her father as well at a young age and how that actually shaped a lot of who she is as a person now as an adult and her business. Ready? Here we go. Lila, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm so excited to have you here and to introduce you and your beautiful company to all of the listeners. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. So to start off, I love to ask all the people that I interview to paint a picture of your current surroundings. So what does life look like for you right now in this present moment? Right now, I am sitting in my living room. I put my dog in my bedroom so he wouldn't disturb the interview. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, and it's been super nice and sunny in Vancouver lately, but today's a little bit cloudy, but I guess I can't complain because we've had really nice weather. So. Sometimes you just need a cloudy day, in my opinion. In my opinion, too, and not a lot of people say that, but yeah, <laughs> I'm happy we share the same opinion. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so you live in Vancouver. I do. Well, actually, I just moved a little bit on in the suburbs. It's in okay. Westminster. Oh, yeah. Um, but I still say Vancouver. <laughs> okay. And so I'm sure people are wondering where your beautiful accent is from. So where are you from originally? Yeah, so I am from the French part of Canada. So there mm-hmm. is a province in Canada that's called Quebec. Mm-hmm. And most people speak French there. So that's where I was born and raised. Got it. So do you, sp- do you still speak French um, throughout like your adult life now? Well, my family only speaks French. Okay. So when I talk to them, yes, it's uh, all in French. All of my friends back home, they, I mean, some of them can speak English as well, but uh-huh. my family, it's only French. That's almost, that's like really nice that you get to keep practicing that language because I know it can be so easy, you know, when you've moved out of a place where that is like a prominent language to sort of let it slip. So that's really nice yeah. that you have that connection to that still. Yeah, no, it's good. I don't think I'll ever lose it. And when I have kids, I definitely want them to to speak French as well. Oh, that will be too cute. (laughs) (laughs) So do you set intentions for your week? And if so, what is one thing that you're currently focusing on? I do. I I think it's more goals than intentions. Um, Lately, I've been into, I don't know if you've read the book, The Miracle Morning. Mm Mm-mm. So I've been into like morning routines for a little bit now. I think it's been two years and I fall in and out of them. Um, But I read this book recently and it's about doing like six things in the morning that will really like set your day and like basically transform the person that you are. Mm. So right now I think my intention has been to just very commit to that and wake up early and do it all every morning. Um, What's early? What time do you wake up? Uh... Like 545 is, I just find that it's easier to wake up at like really early Mm -hmm. than like 630. It's Mm kind of weird, but I really enjoy being up 
before everyone else. Mm. Yeah, that <laughs> makes like, sense. Yeah. So I find it easier to wake up at like 5.30, 5.45 than 6.30, which mm-hmm. is weird. Yeah. And so you start your day immediately. Like you'll start work immediately or you'll just kind of like move into your morning routine and then work comes after. So I just do my morning routine. So I can tell you what it is. So I would first, love to know. Yeah. So it's first, it's, uh, they're called the lifesavers. So all the five letters have, the six letters have a meaning. So mm. first you do meditation, then you'll do your affirmations, then you do visualization, um, then you exercise, you do some reading, and then you do some journaling. Ooh. So, yeah. but I it's love really it. Inter- it's awesome. And it just puts you in such like a nice state of mind for the rest of your day. And yes, I I started doing this a week ago only. And it's really like life changing. <laughs> mm, that's so good. I'm going to get that yeah. book and I'll link that below for the listeners yes. so that they can attain that too. Oh, that's great. How you ended up where you are today. So living where you're living. Um, I really want to get into your beautiful company, Harley J and everything that that emulates. But Um, We'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah, if you could just paint a picture for the listeners to give a little background on perhaps how you got into fashion would be a good start. Yes. So like I said, I'm originally from Quebec City. I'm actually from a very small town on the countryside of Quebec. And um, it might sound weird for you and listeners, but I kind of grew up with this dream of speaking English. Like for Mm. me, I just knew that I wanted to live somewhere where I was going to live my life in English, Mm. which is people always laugh when I say that to people who speak English, but (laughs) it's kind of my dream. Because we're all like, we want to speak French. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's true. So, but anyway, so as soon as I could, I kind of started traveling. I traveled on my own to go and learn English in Miami when I was 18. And then the following summer, I, I went to Ireland and I was an au pair in a family there. And my goal was always to just like have a perfect English. Mm. Um, and then I followed that with moving from Quebec to Vancouver by myself. I was 20 and I was going to come here and take a one-year program in fashion marketing. Mm. And the reason I chose that program is because it was one year and I wanted to figure out if fashion was really the path that I wanted to take mm-hmm. because it's it's one thing to love buying clothes, but uh, I just, I wasn't sure if the industry was going to be for me. Um, so yeah, I came here by myself and it was pretty life-changing because like I said, I'm from a small town. It's a little bit closed-minded there. I, I just hadn't experienced a lot of... Um, a lot of things, I yeah. guess, um, growing up. And I thought, I think I was pretty superficial and set in my own ways. And coming here really kind of opened me up to um, the person that I am today. Mm. Um, I love that you can recognize that, that you were like, I was closed-minded. I obviously hadn't grown to my fullest potential. I think that's so cool. A lot of people don't have the recognition of that, of being able to call themselves out like that I think that's really great yeah well I mean the difference is pretty crazy (laughs) really I do not recognize it but I know what you mean like and and sometimes it's hard for people even to say because a lot of people will just stay where you know in their comfort zone and they want to experience new things and and then you can't grow and, and change so so yeah, moving here for me, it was, I guess there's two parts to the story. There's the fact that I came here to do fashion and I really gave it my all. Like I did three internships in one year and I was mm. always volunteering on fashion shows and photo shoots. And I really was wanting to get in the fashion industry and I had big dreams. My goal was to work in New York and have a big career. Um, but as I think as the months went by in my fashion program, I was also growing as a person And by the end of the program, I realized that the industry was, first of all, not at all what I thought it was. It's not as glamorous as it seemed. There's a lot of dirty work. Like what? Um, What's dirty about it? Well, first of all, it's like the environmental footprint of the fashion Mm. industry. The fact that Mm -hmm. you always need, fashion is all about the newest, the shiniest thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's. And then also just the, the industry on its own, like it's, it seems very glamorous when you see the photos, but like the work behind the scene mm. is, is not glamorous at all, which is totally okay. But mm-hmm. for me, I think that 
unethical conditions in which uh, workers are working overseas, like the fact that there are factories where workers um, sleep at and there is nets by their windows because people want to commit suicide and jump off the windows. Mm-mm. Like that's crazy Ugh. that those people are making the clothes that we buy for $5 at H&M. Like that's, I just, I really couldn't see myself contributing to wow. that industry. Yeah. yeah it's, it's really sad. Um, so I think after, after that program, I, I took a year off to just think about what I wanted to do with my life. And it was a really tough year. Like it was kind of a one year off where you're, I would think I was 21 or 22 and, you know, people are almost coming out of college at this time and like going for their career. And here I was, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was away from my family and friends and, um, I, yeah, I just didn't know what to do. And I eventually, uh, ended up signing up for university and I took communication and I just kind of moved my career path. And it's during that communication program that I started taking some courses on sustainability. Mm, and cool. yeah, and there's one course in particular that I remember it was on Wednesdays and I would sit in that class and I would cry every mm. single week because I couldn't believe the things that I was learning. I couldn't believe that this was really what was happening in the world. And mm-hmm. it, it's hidden by the media because the media is controlled by advertising money. And, and I was just kind of like starting to understand, I think, I guess, how the world works, mm-hmm. how everything is kind of controlled and what, you know, sometimes things are done the way they're done because there has been like processes in place for right. years and we don't really realize and for me, it was just a big eye opener. And from then, I was I thought I'm gonna work in a nonprofit organization. I want to do good in the world. I I want my job to be something positive. Working in a nonprofit, I would have an environmental mission of mm-hmm. some sort. Um, but I ended up getting a job before graduating in a different kind of nonprofit organization. And I thought this was gonna be a good start for me because I had no idea how a nonprofit organization works. Yeah, of course. So I took the job and I was super excited because the whole time I was in school, I always worked in a restaurant as a waitress Mm. and I had very weird schedules and it was never the same. And I just couldn't wait to have a nine to five job. And (laughs) that's so funny. I know. And it didn't last very long. The excitement didn't last very long. (laughs) It was pretty funny because I was so excited to finally, you know, have my evenings off mm-hmm. and be with my boyfriend. And I would just get home and tell my boyfriend, like, are you are you OK with this? Like every morning we get up, go to work, come home, make dinner, make lunches, watch TV. And then we do it all over again. Mm-hmm. This is going to be our life. Mm-hmm. And I was just so so shocked that this was kind of how the world worked. Again. Oh, I love wait, just really quick. I want to touch on that point because I love that you just said that so much that like that you had that recognition of like, my life feels like it's on a loop. Like, are we okay with this? I've had that exact same thought when I worked in corporate, and I'm sure so many listeners can relate. So what was his feedback with that? Was he kind of on your wavelength? Or was he like, yeah, this is great. This is like, this is living. Yeah, well, he likes it. (laughs) Yeah, some people do like that structure. Yes, like he's like, yeah, because he's been, he had been doing it. Like he's had a full-time job it had been maybe eight years when mm-hmm. I brought that up for him. It's like, I've been doing this since I was 20. Like I know yeah. this is how it is. But for me, it just, it didn't work. But the difference is also that he does like his job. Right. And for me, I, at that point, I, I didn't feel like the job was okay. And I was learning and that's what you do when you come out of university, mm-hmm. but it wasn't my passion. Like right. I wasn't passionate about it. So mm-hmm. I think that's also the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, and, and again, I, I had another one of those realizations when we went on a trip. So I think it was maybe four months after I got this job. I was lucky enough to go on a vacation, which I, you know, I should have felt, I think, grateful for that. But again, <laughs> I wasn't because I remember being in Hawaii and talking to the people we were with. And I, I was thinking, this cannot be my life. I cannot work 50 weeks of the year. And this will be my only week off. I'm yeah. here. This yeah. would be it. <laughs> I hear you. Yes. Uh, and um, I promised to myself when I was in Hawaii, I said, when I'm going to come back home, I am going to say yes to every opportunity that comes my way. 
Mm. Because I think sometimes we get in a routine and we forget to kind of like discover yourself, like mm -hmm. try new things and, and say yes to maybe things that you normally wouldn't do. But that's how you grow and you discover what you really like. And I had that at that point, I recognized that I wasn't exactly where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. So it was important for me to keep saying yes to these things. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point to actually point out is that, you know, there's that whole, the whole thing of like saying no more. Um, but I think it's really important what you just said of you knew that you weren't exactly where you needed to be. And that's, I totally believe that too, that that's where you need to start saying yes to opportunities. Maybe even things that make you feel a little uncomfortable because how else are you going to learn? You know, yes. when you feel grounded on your insides, that's when you can start to say no to things that don't feel good because you have a very clear idea as to who you are, where you are, where you want to be. But yeah, if you're still discovering, like you, you have to say yes. Yeah. And I'm totally with you with this saying no. And that's something mm -hmm. in my business now that I'm learning to like not answer to certain emails sure. or saying no to certain opportunities and when you get busy and stuff. But at that point, I felt like I needed to say yes. And like you said, just explore and, and mm -hmm. discover who you are. Like, yeah. how are you supposed to know who you are if you just do the same thing all over again every Absolutely. day? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So funny enough, as soon as I got home, I got it. I was sleeping and I got a text at 11 p.m. at night. And it was a friend of mine who I uh, was launching an ethical swimwear brand and she needed help to do a photo shoot in Tofino the following weekend. Mm -hmm. And um, it's funny because I really remembered these moments because those were really my light bulb moments. But uh, yeah, uh, right. It's that's kind of how you remember. Absolutely. But, and she asked me to model for her because her model, her second model had canceled. And there's no word that can describe how much I hate getting my photo taken. Which I is crazy. You are beautiful. But oh, I get it. I just, I hate it. <laughs> I get but it. I, I was like, the universe is testing me right now. I need to say yes to this. Yeah. And um, so I went on the trip and I said yes. And this single trip is the reason why Harley J is what it is today. Because I spent the weekend with three other women who were all in a creative industry. They were all like doing the work that they love doing. My friend had started the swimwear brand. She had no experience in fashion, but she mm -hmm. was just very passionate about the mission of her brand. And there, she felt there was a need in the market to have this special type of swimsuit. And I just thought it was so beautiful. And I got home that week and I started researching about um, opening up an online store for ethical fashion brands. And, and it's during my research that I realized that what I was looking for was very specific and there was no brand out there that was doing what I wanted to do. And that's why I decided to create my own brand. Um, but yeah, it's really through that process that I am, I guess, where I am today. And That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. So did it feel pretty seamless in starting up your business? Or I would, I guess I would ask what, what stands out as one or some of the most challenging pieces of starting your business? Because I think it's really easy for people on the outside, let's say, who are dreaming and scheming up, you know, starting their own business. And it just looks, everything just looks so easy, you know, when they're looking at companies that are already developed. So would you mind sharing some of the nitty gritty stuff that you had to go through to get Harley J where it is now? Yeah, so I totally agree with you. I think the internet has made it seem very easy to mm -hmm. start a business. And maybe it's easy to start a business, but it's hard to keep one going. Yes, and to grow it. Um, mm -hmm. Exactly. So everything was kind of a challenge, to mm -hmm. be honest, especially because at first I was working full time. So mm -hmm. just finding the time and being committed to getting up earlier in the morning and working on my business and getting up, you know, getting home and working on the business again until 10 and then going to bed and doing it all over again. And it's even harder when you feel like you're working on nothing. You don't even have a business. It's right. not like you're fulfilling orders. You're just kind of making things up as you go. Yeah. Um, in terms of um, manufacturing clothing, that's a needle in its own because there are so many little steps in the production of, of clothing. And I'm not a designer, right? I went to fashion school for marketing. Mm -hmm. So 
I, I don't know how to sew. I, I hire people to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how to pattern draft. I hire people to do that. And for me to understand how all of the parts are working together and every step, like you kind of rely on every step. So mm-hmm. if something goes wrong, then all of the following step will go wrong too. And mm. so that, that was hard figuring out manufacturing and finding related time to do it and being committed was, was hard when you have a boyfriend who's at home and watching TV and you're trying to work on your business. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, but these days we're lucky. You can kind of look at everything up online. So right. yeah. that was a huge help. I was also part of a program that helped me build a brand. It's called Factory 45. And it taught me kind of all of the steps of uh, launching a clothing brand because mm. there are many steps. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So do you, are you the one who like kind of dreams up the pieces that are in your collection and then you will reach out to your manufacturers to help bring it to life? Or do you have like a team that helps you do that? So I, I did, I decide on the pieces. So I design, Mm. like I will sketch out the pieces that I want. Um, and then I will meet with my pattern maker. So we will look at the sketches and I'll bring fabric in and we'll, Um, then she will create the pattern for the design that I've created. Mm -hmm. And after that, we have a sample sewer that will sew the first sample. So from my little sketch, which is usually a very technical sketch, I'll say, I want, let's say the straps to be two inches and Mm -hmm. two inches wide. And it's a, it's not like a, a super pretty sketch of a piece Mm -hmm. of clothing. It's actually very technical. And then from that, we have the first sample and then we'll do a fitting. And on my fit model, we'll see how it fits. And then I'll say, well, we need to take in the waist or we need to do this or that. And then we change the pattern again. And usually we'll redo another sample. And we can do that sometimes five times before we get it right. Yeah. So there's a lot of work that goes into each and every single piece. Exactly. Mm. And I think I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why my collection doesn't have a lot of pieces right now, because I'm trying to really take my time and do things well. Yeah, but you can Um, tell that like as a consumer, someone who has purchased from your store before, like you can tell like I feel like you emulate the less is more or the quality over quantity so well. I was actually kind of relieved to go to your site and be like, ah, there's only so many that is just proof that you put so much thought into each piece, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I do, I, I really try to create pieces that people will wear for a long time and work on different occasions. Mm -hmm. And so it, it takes a lot of time. I think I'm getting better at it now. I've, I've been working on uh, spring, summer, 2019 Mm -hmm. and I, I have a few pieces that are ready now. And I think now I kind of like got the hang of it Mm -hmm. and I will have more pieces in the future, but Mm -hmm. it is still as important for me that people will be able to wear the pieces at work at a night out if they want to, or mm-hmm. I line my dresses so you don't see, you don't see through them and, and things like that. So, yeah. so yeah, so the, the design process and the sample making processes can be a long one. And then once you finally have your final design, your final pattern, then I'll go to a manufacturer, a small factory, I've, I've worked with a couple different ones so far, and then you bring them your final sample and pattern, and then you'll do more than one pieces. Like I'll do 50 to a hundred pieces of one item. Um, and that those are the ones that my customers purchase. Got it. And then everything is made from ethical, sustainable fabric, correct? And it's all in so, Canada or how does that work? So everything is manufactured in Vancouver. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm really lucky to live here and there's a couple of factories that uh, do that. So I can actually go in the factory and I'll see wow. the sewer is working. Or recently I've worked with another factory where because I don't produce super large quantities, mm-hmm. the sewers are actually working from home. So they oh, pick that's up so nice. Piece. Yeah, it's super cool. So so that's for the manufacturing. So it's always ethically made here in Vancouver. And then in terms of fabric, I try to use eco-friendly fabrics as much as I can. Um, right now in my collection, I have like a, a jumpsuit and a pair of shorts that are made. There is a little bit of polyester in that fabric. Mm-hmm. And that's because the jumpsuit, I really wanted to get that perfect form-fitted Brigitte Bardot kind right. of style. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the shorts, I made them with the leftover fabric from the production. So I've tried to reuse that. In the future, I would like to just do eco-friendly, but sometimes 
it's kind of like you need to pick your battles. Um, let's say I just said that I, I line my dresses and it's sometimes it's hard to find the lining that you want that's mm-hmm. super eco-friendly. Mm-hmm. So, so far right now I use like a natural fiber, but it's not like organic mm-hmm. or so I'm, I'm trying to figure out the best for them. And I'm always discovering new fabric suppliers that will fulfill my needs yeah. for like eco-friendly fabric. Mm-hmm. But my number one goal is to create garments that people can wear a lot in different occasions and that they really love and are timeless. And the thing is too, is that it's like, you know, the goal is to never be perfect, right? The goal is to always do the best that you can. And with someone like a mission statement like yours, I think it's just, it's so apparent, you know, that like, what you want is to do the very best that you can and for the planet. And so I think it's important for people to understand that, yeah, you you show up and you make as good of choices as you can with what you have and you just do the best that you can. It doesn't, nothing has to be 100% perfect. That's near impossible. Yeah. And I, I really struggled with that at the beginning mm-hmm. because when I designed the jumpsuit and I wanted the fabric to be like a more of an eco-friendly fabric. And then when I realized that I needed the stretch or I needed the you know, the polyester, so it keeps everything in place. And I, I didn't sleep for two weeks. Mm. <laughs> I would like actually wake up and I'd be like, ah, oh, this is not what I want to do. But I think that my main goal with Harley J is to shift the way people consume clothing. And I say shift because we use like 70 years ago when people would buy a piece of clothing, like they would cherish that piece of clothing. It was mm-hmm. more expensive. It was well-made. They would mend it when, if it was broken, they would, hand wash it and iron it. And, and that's kind of what I want to do is I want to bring back that relationship that people used to have with their coding, because no matter how many eco-friendly brands there is out there, if we continue to purchase clothing as much as we do today and just toss it when we're done, like that's not going to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. We need to go back and like think when you buy something, you just make sure that you really need it and you love it and it makes you feel your best self and it's, your favorite item of clothing mm-hmm. so, and that so it's made well exactly yeah so can we just I want to touch on this subject just for a couple minutes and I feel like you'd be the perfect person to sort of enlighten the rest of the listeners and myself too because I've recently been on the journey of going through my closet and really honing in on items that I love and looking at it too and being like how is this made do I love it enough to keep it Um, And just really trying to, like you said, shift my consumerism habits into more sustainable and ethical companies. Again, I'm never going to be perfect, but at least having that at the forefront, I think, is is the main goal for anyone. Um, So can you sort of shed a light on what the problem is? We talked about H&M for a second, but with fast fashion, can you just sort of shed some light on where the problem lies within the fast fashion industry and why it's so detrimental, I suppose? Yeah. So there are a couple different issues, but I guess when we talk about fast fashion, we're talking about those big retailers like such as H&M and Zara and Forever 21 who have, basically their clothing is so cheap that we feel like we can buy a lot of it mm-hmm. because it's cheaper, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of like made us consume, well, it's not kind of, it has made us consume a lot more clothing than let's say our parents and our grandparents did before. Mm-hmm. Because if you buy a t-shirt for $5 and you wear it, Three times you put it in the wash, it comes back of the wash, it's all not proportional anymore. And you think, well, you know what, I only paid $5 for it. You throw it away. And it's okay because you paid $5 for it. But what it took to create that Mm. t-shirt, like that's not good. It took a lot of water to just to make the fabric. Mm -hmm. And then it was probably sewn by, well, it was sewn in sweatshops or people who were really not paid a fair wage because... You paid $5 for the t-shirt. So that means the person who sewed it really didn't make a lot of money Mm. doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes there's also the issue of like the, when um, garments are dyed and like the water is not treated, there's a very good documentary called uh, River Blue. Mm -hmm. And it calls, it talks about how 
like the water is not treated and just goes back into the rivers and it's so there's so much chemical you can smell wow. a mile away so fast fashion there's there's a lot of of different issues but mainly you can say it's the way it's been manufactured mm-hmm. um it's the fabrics that are if it's a lot of if you go to h&m or forever 21 a lot of the fabrics that they used are polyester that's a cheap fabric it's made of plastic so that takes like hundreds of years to go away from our planet yeah Yeah. so um so those are the main issues um and then when we talk about slow fashion Mm -hmm. is kind of just go back and and wanting to shop less shop better better quality better fabrics better conditions for the workers Mm -hmm. Um, and also just for even for you to be happier with your closet because we all have closets that are you know the expression a closet full of nothing to wear yeah because the clothes are so cheap you know you you have a, a night out with your girlfriends on a friday and you you stop by the mall just before and you buy a new dress because it was $30. And But if the dress was $200, you probably wouldn't do that. You want to think, you want to make sure that you can reuse the dress and right. rewear it on different occasions. So, yeah, that's, is, am I doing a good job at explaining it? Yes, that you like, structured. I'm so excited to watch that documentary. I, I had no idea. I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't even realize how much water it took to make fabric. Um, that's mm-hmm. news to me. So what are um, what are just like a couple things that people when they're shopping should look for as far as um, let's just say like a, a poor made item or an item that ideally they would stray away from? What are a couple things that we would see on a tag? So like if it's – I find it hard sometimes because there are like manufacturers in China that are doing good. Or, but mm-hmm. if I had to give – my general rules is I, first of all to avoid those big retailers that mm-hmm. sell cheap clothing mm-hmm. because I told you all of the steps that go into producing a garment. So how how can that garment be only five dollars? Right. You know, like when, yes. when, when I got in the industry and I realized how many steps and how much everything costs, I was I was blown away to realize that I've been paying very little for for my garments. So. Um, the first thing would be to avoid those big stores. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, when you start buying from the smaller designers and, and brands that are doing good, it's often it's more expensive, obviously. Um, but there are brands that are still reasonably priced. Like I, I find Everlane is really yeah. reasonably priced so and great. all of their manufacturing is ethical. Mm-hmm. Um, the fabrics, uh, it's it's always better to go with natural fabrics. So organic cotton, if you can find it, or cotton, linen, hemp. Um, that's all better than polyester and spandex and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, organic is better in those, obviously, in those fibers as well. Um, but to be honest, like my number one tip for people who are like serious about making their closet a more ethical place Mm -hmm. is to discover your own style is Mm. to stop shopping for the trends. Like just stop, you know, you go in a mall and then you just buy whatever is in front of you. I think it should be the opposite. Like you should go to the mall knowing what makes you feel good, knowing like what looks good on your body, what fabrics feel good against your skin. And I have actually a blog post on my website about this because I truly, this is really, for me, that's the number one thing you have to do is to shop for yourself and discover what makes you feel your best self. And because once you've discovered that, you're not going to buy the cheap polyester clothing. Like now when I walk, I never go to the mall, but if I go for whatever reason, recently I went to the Apple store and I walked in front of Forever 21 and I just, I looked at the clothes, the way they're hanging on the racks and I'm like on the hangers and I'm almost disgusted because it looks so cheap. Well, it is cheap. Yeah. But, and then, cause I see my clothing hanging on my hangers at home and it, it doesn't hang the same way. I mm-hmm. feel like, I don't know if it's just leaving, but, but there's a clear difference. And, and if you can't afford the expensive price tag of designer, then go thrift shopping. I, I love yeah. thrift shopping. Oh yeah. All I do. Yeah, and you can find, like, and I think the the misconception with thrift shopping is that some people are, like, some people can be, like, ew, you know, or, like, you only find, like, vintage-y, like, 
I don't know, like musty stuff. And I'm like, no, you can get some amazing, amazing companies and products secondhand. Yeah. And you know what I say to people who say, ew, that's gross. I say, if you eat in a restaurant, then you're, you should be okay with shopping uh, secondhand. <laughs> because yes. are not clean. And yeah. we all think it's fancy and stuff, but I've worked in restaurants for years. <laughs> and, and, and I'm sorry, but it's just, there's, you know, there's gross things everywhere and it's everywhere just, that's not a good excuse enough like you totally. go home and you wash the clothes and it's mm-hmm. all good but yeah, yeah you can find amazing stuff you, all of my silk shirts and that's all thrift shopping and mm-hmm. I paid five dollars for them and it feels amazing against my skin and drapes so well and some of them I found they still had the tag on yeah and it's yeah. recycling you know so like you that's can feel good about paying five dollars because you know that that was a well-made item that someone paid a lot of money for but you're benefiting from the recycling of it which is so exactly. cool yeah yes. um I really also love the point that you made your number one tip because I just want to share a little bit that I It's been about six months now where I finally figured out the color palette that like makes me feel so happy and just content and warm and I always feel good. And same with fabric. Like if it's not soft, it's not going on my skin. I truly feel that way. And so it's made amazing. Yeah, and it's made shopping. I don't love to shop. Um, I had like some impulsive stuff with shopping. Like it was a problem after my dad passed away. It was like how I was dealing with it. But then I came to realize that like when you make those two things, fabric, how does it feel? Color, do I love that color? Does my skin tone love that color? It makes the process of shopping so much more enjoyable and less overwhelming because I can walk into a store and I will just be drawn to like a certain a certain part of the store of like, this is where I live is just like right here. It just makes it a mindful experience. And obviously I'm all about those, but it really changed it for me. And you know, like you look at what colors and what textures that you love. And if you don't find anything, you're like, okay, well then I'm moving on because there's nothing else here for me. Yeah, I, that's exactly what I meant by that. Yeah. That's awesome. that, did you, what did you do to figure that out? Figure out you know what? I just started paying attention. I, I also am like, I, I try to live strictly from my intuition as much as I can. And so it even came down to like where I would just walk into my closet and I would just be like, I don't vibe with that. I don't vibe with that. I don't vibe with that. And I would take it out and just put it away for like a few months. And if I missed it, so like there's, um, I've re-fallen in love with the color, the poppy color, like poppy red. Um, it makes me really happy. And so there was like one shirt that I pulled back out and I was like, you know what? I actually really love this color, but I kind of live in neutrals, like tans, whites, creams, beiges, um, and like, you know, a piece of black here and there. And so I just started noticing what I was pulling for each day. And it was like all these colors, like this group of neutrals with like a pop of color. And so I just started to, yeah, take mental note of that. And then slowly but surely I was like grabbing those blue things and grabbing those like green things and crazy patterns. And I started donating those because I was just like, ah, that's just not something I'm migrating towards. Um, And same with fabrics, you know, the exact same thing, right? Have a sweater that I, you know, love the way it looked from like Zara or something. But every time I put it on, I was pulling at my neck or like itching my arms because I'm like, ah, this is so itchy. So... Yeah, I don't know. I think it's and it's not something that I don't believe that you can just go in your closet and, you know, at 7 a.m. you start and by 7 p.m. you'll have a, the perfect idea of what your style is. I think it takes a little bit more time and um, yeah, yeah. So it's not something to be rushed, but it's definitely something I think worth paying attention to because that point you made is so spot on. Yeah, no, I'm super glad that you're on board. And if you're listeners, there's a good book. It's called The Curated Closet. Yes, I've heard of it. I haven't read it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, and that goes like even deeper into the whole process. But of course, it's it's a process. Like you said, it doesn't take a day to figure that out. And it's a process that you have to go through. But Mm -hmm. I I almost think it's funny how like we'll go on Pinterest and we'll like, you know, we want to have the perfect living room and we'll like pin everything that we like and we'll make like our space like beautiful according to what we love. But we never do that work with our style. We just think that like we have the style that we have because that's that's just how it is. That's how you're born. Some people Mm -hmm. have style and some people think, well, I never had style. But it's not true. It doesn't have to be like that. Mm -hmm. We just 
need to be willing to put in the work a little bit to figure out what what's your jam. Or I can't really. Or why would I pay twenty five dollars for that white t shirt when I could get it for five? But like you said, they're not the same. Like that white t shirt for twenty five dollars could last you years and years. Where that five dollar t shirt, you might have to buy that seven times over. You've already paid more. Exactly. And yeah. then look at the time you spend on the mall going buying it yeah. to buy it. And so like you true. just kind of start like adding up when you're more it's just like anything. When you're more intentional and conscious of what you do, yeah. It it makes more sense sometimes to yeah, spend a little bit more money here or there to save the time three months from now or whatever. Absolutely. Oh, so good. Okay, well, I'm really grateful to have you on here for a multitude of reasons, both as being someone who's chased their passion, but also someone who's gone through grief. And what makes you stand apart from other people that I've interviewed about this subject is that you, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but lost your dad at a really young age. Yes. Correct. Okay, so although you may not have a lot of big concrete memories, it most certainly shapes who you are as the person that you are today. So what's one of the biggest things that losing your dad has taught you throughout your life? Um, the biggest thing, I think that, so my dad passed away when I was 11 mm-hmm. and my mom and dad were not together back then. Like they split up when I was very young. They mm-hmm. had me when they were young and my mom and dad broke up when I was, I think I was one and a half. Like I was very little so I grew up uh, only seeing my dad once every second weekend. Mm-hmm. And then the two years before he passed away, um, my my mom, my stepdad, and I moved to Montreal, which is three hours away from my small hometown. So I would only see him maybe once every three months. So, so when he passed away, it wasn't a huge change on my day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course I was devastated and, you know, my dad had passed away, but my day to day life didn't change that much. And I think that it's more in my early adulthood that I, I started noticing how it had impacted me and my upbringing and, you know, my teenage years and Mm -hmm. all of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that the main thing it did is that I'm, you know, I've always been very independent. You know, I lost, I lost my dad and I, and I had to deal with that kind of on my own. My stepdad never really, you know, step up to the plate and say, Hey, I know your dad passed away, but Mm -hmm. I'll be there for you. It's not Mm -hmm. something that he did, unfortunately. And Mm -hmm. so I think it made me learn to be good on my own and go after my dreams. Mm -hmm. And I would never be where I am today without him. And, you know, I, I, don't like to say this, but it, it is true. Like I did inherit some money from him too. It was not, you know, anything huge, but it was mm-hmm. enough to allow me to go on these traveling trips where I wanted yeah. to learn English and start following my dreams and then be able to pay for my studies, which mm-hmm. which are all things that I would, you know, I would definitely not be here in Vancouver owning my clothing brand if it wasn't from my dad. And, and that's why the name of the brand is also... It's, it's, it's my dad, basically. It's uh, a twist on what should be Jess on his Harley Davidson because my dad was pretty unconventional. He had mm-hmm. crazy ideas and he was uh, really his own person and character. And when I was younger, I didn't notice that as much. I, you know, when you're a kid, you kind of, you just want to fit in. And my dad was different and mm-hmm. I didn't really appreciate that about him. But now I think that me going after my own career path, yes. and, you know, creating the life that I want, that's very much in line with what my dad um, would have done. I think he would be really, really proud to see, to see Oh, that. I know he is. Yeah. It's just, it's so cool. Like with little things like that, we were like, I'm, I'm a product of him, you know, like yeah. it's so clear that you guys both had that zest for um, internal growth and expanding yourselves and marching to the beat of your own drum and following your passions. And that's really cool. Yeah. And I love the the subtlety with the name, like tying in with him. I think that's really beautiful. That's really cool. So do you find, because you were 11, and not that I do not mean for that to sound like it's an insignificant age or anything like that, but I guess my question is, does grief for you still show up here and there? Like, Do you find that you have moments where maybe you're frustrated or angry or confused or just like, I guess, it, devastated it, it, or... 
Yeah, it's funny because when you first asked me about doing the interview, I had like a kind of a rough couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes it, it just shows up again in my life where I I wonder what life would be if he mm-hmm. had been there mm-hmm. or I just, I realize I think it's like in the last years that I've realized how it's impacted the person that I was. It's, I think now I'm in a good place. Like mm-hmm. I'm happy and I found, you know, my, my boyfriend is an awesome guy and I could not have asked for a better person. Mm-hmm. But before I met him, I think I struggled with like even just relationships with guys mm-hmm. and, and how I was perceiving myself. And I know that that all had something to do with me losing my dad and then not having a father figure growing up. Really. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So sometimes I do have those moments where, yeah, I will cry and and wonder what it would be like, or if he's there, I would wish he could help me or I could talk to him about things. And Mm -hmm. and it's going to be 17 years that he's passed away in August Mm -hmm. and not a day goes by that I don't think about him. Like it's crazy to think because I remember when I was 11, my biggest fear, what I kept repeating to my mom was I was scared that I was going to forget about him. Mm-hmm. And that was probably due to the fact that I had so little memories with him because I didn't spend a lot of time with him. But today, even today, every single day, there is going to be something in my day that's going to remind me of him. And and some days I feel more emotional and I will cry in my car or I will smile or it just, it really depends, mm-hmm. but it's definitely still a part of me. I yeah. I love that that piece of, you know, the fear of forgetting because I think that anyone who's listening to this who's lost a parent or a sibling or what have you, that fear is so real and it's normal to have that fear. But really all that is is a fear because you're not going to. And I think what you said about how there's not a day that goes by that you don't think of him, when you lose a parent, you've literally, quite literally, have lost half of your makeup. Right. So how can you? It's so embedded into into who you are. So for anyone who has that fear lingering, you know, I think that you just said it perfectly that it's the fear of forgetting. You're not actually forgetting. It's just like the fear that comes with a loss like that. So, Yeah. yeah, I struggle with that, too, sometimes. But what's helped me, too, is to like to try and write down in like deep description things that I remember about him as they come up. I'll just write them down and I'll document them. So if I'm ever having a day where I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm forgetting, I can just go back to that list and be like, no, I'm not. You know, here are some things. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about mindful living when it comes to sustainable fashion. But what do you think of when you hear that term, mindful living? What does that mean to you? To me, it just, it means not doing anything just without any purpose. Like it's mm. really trying. It's whatever, what do you eat? Mm-hmm. What you, it's every, like everything is just like putting thought into everything that you do. And of course it's, it's hard to do it for every single thing, but for me, it's a work in progress. It's when I, Sometimes when I go home and I look at like the way that say my family lives and you know, they're from a small town and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of, it's kind of crazy to think, but like even just the fact that they don't speak English, there's a lot of information that's like mostly distributed in English. And if you don't speak English, well, it might be translated and then shared in the news, but it's not as good. Yeah. Right. And you know, I find that a lot of things they just do per habit, like that's how they were raised and that's just how they do it. And the way they eat or the way they recycle or, or not even recycling. Mm-hmm. Or, so for me, it's just like taking all little aspects of my life and trying to put thought into everything that I do, putting thought in how I start my day and what's the first thing I, I do when I, I have a big glass of water instead of mm-hmm. just coffee right away because you want to nourish your body. Mm-hmm. When you go grocery shopping, you know, try to buy the organic products or the things that are in season right now Mm -hmm. or so really putting I think like the short answer would be just putting thought into everything that Mm -hmm. we do every day yeah and that requires taking pause and slowing down and I think that's a struggle for so many people because we're in such a fast-paced world but 
Yeah, that's such good advice. I, I couldn't agree more. I think you, if someone asked me the question, I probably would have said exactly what you said. <laughs> so lastly, what's a mantra that you've been loving or that's been landing well for you recently? Is there anything that stands out? Yes. it's It's been the same for a little bit now, and sometimes I forget about it, but it's been very much, yeah, my mentor right now. It's just embrace the journey. Mm, I love because, that. Yeah. It's so often I just, I'm someone who, like I'll set a goal and then I'll achieve it, but then I'm just looking at what's the next best right. thing. Like what's, we just, we just moved into our new apartment and we did a full renovation. And then as soon as it was done, I was on the real estate market looking at, okay, what's going to be uh. next? Isn't that the truth? I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, human condition 101. (laughs) I know. It's so bad. And so I'm really, I'm trying to, yeah, embrace the journey. Just embrace every day the process to achieve. Of course, it's good to have like big goals and always moving forward. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't appreciate where you are. And especially so in my business, like at the beginning, I just wanted it to be successful right away. And, Mm -hmm. And then I had to remind myself, like, Lila, the reason you are doing this is so you can enjoy your everyday life, not just when you hit whatever sales goal it is. Yeah. So well, and just and you're learning throughout the whole process. And that knowledge is like, I, I don't mean to sound cliche, but that knowledge is so much power. Exactly. And, yeah. and for me, like, especially even in my business, like as soon as I think, like, I just say that phrase out loud in my car, I'll say, just embrace the journey. When something doesn't go right, even yesterday I had a bad day with production and and then I sat in my car and I'm like, just embrace the journey. This is just part of it. And it's actually really cool, Lila, that you get to do this. Mm-hmm. You could be working in an office at a job that you don't like right now. So, mm-hmm. And there's a reason yeah. for that misstep. Like, what, what's the lesson? I always try and ask myself, what is the lesson here? Yeah, what's you the know? lesson and what are the other options? Because yeah. there's so many other options uh-huh. that, you know, are, it's going to work out in the end. Yeah, and embracing so, the journey doesn't mean embracing only the good parts of the journey. It's like it fully is embracing the nitty, the gritty, the ugly, the messy, and yeah. the beautiful and the slow and the wonderful, etc. cetera. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Lila, I wish we lived closer. I would want to hang out with you every day. <laughs> Where can people find you? Can you list out your, um, your website, social media? I want people to be able to get in touch with you and see your beautiful work and follow your heavenly Instagram. It's so pretty. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, yeah, so on Instagram, it's just Harley J, and it's spelled H-A-R-L-Y-J-A-E dot com. Um, so not Harley Davidson, just <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> because that's what everyone thinks. Yeah. And um, the website is, this, is the same, harleyj.com, and we're also on Facebook, but Instagram is the best place. And then I've also, on my Instagram page, I've linked to my personal Instagram if people want to ask me questions or, cool. or anything. I'm always happy to help. That's awesome. And I'm going to link all of the good nuggets that you included. You showed up with so many awesome resources. I can't wait to dive into all all of them. So thank you for that too. Well, thanks so much for having me. Oh, of course. This is so good. Thanks, Lila. Thank you. I hope you guys all love this as much as I loved recording it for you. And if you do, and you have just 20 seconds, I would be so incredibly grateful if you would just pop over to the review section on iTunes and rate this podcast. It's truly how this podcast can land in the laps of any and all people who are needing a little bit more mindfulness in their life.